Ladies and gentlemen, we're shoveling. This is the growing season, brought to you by News Talk. It's like a 9.60 a.m. I'm Matt McFarland, one of a trio of McFarlands that you will have graced your eardrums today. Jack and Lynn McFarland join me, my parents, but I call them mom and dad. Boys and girls, how are you? Matthew, you know what? I feel a little bit down this week. Well, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. So at 27 seconds in, the relentless stupid jokes begin. This week, we return to our TGS color series, and my dad is feeling melancholy or he's feeling quite blue. (laughs) All right. Uh, Melancholy. I always think about a dog dressed up like a watermelon. Yes. It's a collie. Guys, this is my favorite color when it comes to horticultural organisms. Why? I just love the color blue. I absolutely love it. Maybe I like it because it's one of the tougher ones to yeah. get your hands on, but just nothing to me pops like the the blue on a festuca or the blue on a platycodon. And here I am already. We are one minute and eight seconds in, and I'm already putting things into show bits, and it's my stinking fault. Matt, did you know that only 10% of the 280,000 flowering plants and shrubs are blue? Really? Yeah, okay, we're actually getting into show content here, yeah. and we haven't even gotten into the show. The website, growingseasoncanada.com. Click on show bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. You're going to want to use that when we get into the heavy-duty stuff on the other side because you can follow along in chronological order as to what we're talking about, and we're going to be chatting about that 10%. You know, it isn't a lot, but it is 10%. Speaking of percentages, she's Lynn, he's Jack, and I am a percentage of them. I'm Matt McFarland. This is the growing season on News Talk. It's like a 9.60 a.m. Stay with us. And we're back. E-A-C-K. This is the growing season on News Talk. It's like a 9.60 a.m. For those that were not listening, no problem. GrowingSeasonCanada.com is the website. Click on Show Bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. And you're going to want to use it. Okay, Dad wants to talk about something about 10%, but I have something to say too. Give me your 10% thing, and then we'll jump into something else quick. Go. Okay, so Matthew, 10% represents approximately 28,000 flowering plants on Earth. You got me? That are blue. Now, what about blue festuca? What about blue festuca? Well, it, no, we're talking doesn't about really flower. I, but would it be part of this 28,000 plants that are blue? No. I wouldn't okay. say so. It so would have these flowers of... that are blue. How's that? Okay. Okay, so name them. What? All 28,000? <laughs> <laughs> How much time do we have? Okay. Lottie Conan, there's one. Uh, no, no. Camp I want, let's do, let's make it harder. Let's make it wildflowers. Okay, so we're going to talk about gypsy moths here. <laughs> you want me to go into wildflowers now? Go ahead. 28,000 of them? Is this, no, is this... just name five. I'll, I'm just kidding. All right, five. No problem. Here we go. Sage. Lupins, aster, blue columbine, and let's say indigo. Very good, Matthew. How about you, Lynn? Have you got any? I can say nicotine, chicory, northern blue flag, bottle gentian, and wasatch gentian. Okay, they're basically penstamens, Matt. Would you like to hear something about gentian? Have you heard about this? Oh, is that medicinal? Gentian violet. Oh, yes. Right, you mentioned that. Okay, oh, and Kelly. It, it bears repeating, okay? I had never heard this, and again, I'm a horticulturalist, so when my son was born, he was born with a mouth fungus called thrush. 
So what happens is when you go to breastfeed, that mouth fungus then gets transferred over to the nipple. Now, in the in the case of my son, it didn't really affect anything. It didn't really harm his eating or hurt him to eat. And he ate quite vigorously. On my wife, though, it hurt her areas where he was latching, became extremely sensitive. In fact, they would dry out and crack. Ooh. So we went to a lactation spe- specialist who proposed a two-prong defense system or a two-prong healing system. The first was she had to get some sort of a jock cream, an antifungal, and rub it on her areas where he was latching. The second thing, the most important thing, though, was you buy this thing called gentian violet. It's gentian violet literally ground up in a bottle, and you rub it on the areas, both my son's mouth and my wife, and that kills thrush. Wow. But didn't didn't his mouth turn all blue? Oh, we were going to... Aaron's wedding, my sister's yeah. wedding, and it looked like my son had <laughs> sucked on a blueberry. It sucked yeah. on a blueberry. And we couldn't get it off, but granted, it killed it killed this thrush. Yeah, killed which it. is good. That's and that's the want. first time I had ever heard the word gentian. I had no idea what the heck this thing was. Wow. Actually, yeah. the flower is very pretty, Matthew, if you ever get a chance to uh, incorporate it into some of your drawings. Well, chicory is nice, too. I like chicory as well. Yeah. Well, we yeah, see it all yeah. the time on our trail walk. Yeah, constantly. It's, yeah. it's everywhere. It's a, it's a little blue. It, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's like a little Part blue. of the Asteraceae family. Yeah. It's and a it, cousin to dandelion. It looks a little xerophytic as well. It yeah. Is. Oh, very xerophytic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of a rant coming here, and then we're going to jump off into some blue. So right now, many regions in the greater Toronto area are being ravaged by gypsy moth caterpillars, which will eventually become gypsy moth. And we are part of a ton of different Facebook gardening groups. And many people on these gardening groups are advocating against using certain defense mechanisms against this gypsy moth caterpillar, which is just defoliating trees. It is literally chewing through trees. One of the defense mechanisms is something that doesn't allow the caterpillar to climb up the tree and then chew on your leaves. What you do is you take saran wrap or, or plastic wrap and you wrap the trunk of the tree and then you smear that saran wrap or plastic wrap with petroleum jelly. The caterpillars will not cross the petroleum jelly and the saran wrap. It's literally a barrier. We did it on, on, my, on my neighbor's linden and there was no less than a hundred and some odd caterpillars that were just congregating underneath this plastic wrap. They will not cross the plastic wrap. Can I ask you a question? Yes. So would any of that, that copper strips wrapped around the tree work just as well or I, good question like I mean, slugs? at this point at this point let's try anything okay because that as you said if a tree is defoliated by 60 to 70 percent for two to three years it basically dies of malnourishment yeah they can't because do photosynthesis no they, food they can't no create life. food they starve to death so the problem is you get these pollinator hippies out there where they they anything that could potentially possibly hurt a bee or a butterfly you you shouldn't be doing it so what some people are doing is taking duct tape and wrapping duct tape in reverse around these trees. And again, the caterpillars will not cross it. But this this plastic wrap method with the petroleum jelly, they're getting all these pollinator people up and hot and bothered. Here is the issue. Wait a minute. So is that because they're supposedly eating the, well, uh, the petroleum no, jelly? No, because I guess a bee or a butterfly flies by and they get stuck in the petroleum jelly. I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know how many butterflies I see congregating around the trunks of trees or bees. Generally, the bee is where the flowers are, right? Sure. Here's the issue with this. And this goes out to these pollinator cops who everything is about bees and everything is about butterflies. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I've been on a bunch of job sites, probably way more job sites than you this year, okay, that 
we have seen so many bees. They are everywhere. More bees than I have seen in years and years. In and 10 the years, butterflies in a decade, man. are everywhere. I agree. So I don't think the pollinators are a big issue here. Here is my issue is the standing dead hardwoods that will be as a result of all of this gypsy moth infestation two to three years down the road. Now you've got the same issue that you had with your ash trees. Subdivisions upon subdivisions upon subdivisions of dead hardwood trees. And we're not even talking about ash. We're talking about maples and oaks. Hard wood. What happens? These things can now are subject to environmental stressors, wind, snow, ice. They can fall. They're called the standing dead, man. They're called the standing dead. So you tell me what is a better option. Is it to go out and get chemicals and spray your whole trees down and then anything that goes anywhere near these trees dies or to put some plastic wrap on the trunks or to have just rows upon rows of standing dead maple, standing dead oaks, right? It just, this type of stuff frustrates me. These people that are on their on their own property, only on their own property and, they're, and, and then are not experiencing what's happening actually out on multiple sets of properties. And these gypsy moth caterpillars are everywhere and ravaging, ravaging trees. You know what, Matthew? Funny thing is, this show is really talking a fair bit about our little friend, the bee again. And I said little friend. Yeah. Because it has to do But you don't do say with, it often in, in, anymore. No, it's right? to do with the pollinators. A lot of this with floral colors, especially blue, has to do with the ultraviolet uh, way in which bees see green and blues. Right. And so that's why it's so very important. In any event... Moving on. If you're having gypsy moth issues, it's okay. Take some plastic wrap, wrap it around the trunk, smear it with some petroleum jelly. They will not cross that barrier. So what about the burlap? Actually, on our Norway out front, on our Norway maple out front, Acer Platinoides, there's my Latin alert. We have both the burlap skirt on and we have above it, I've done the plastic wrap with the petroleum jelly. I will tell you, guess how many gypsy moth caterpillars we see in our tree? None. Zero. That's good. And Zero. that doesn't hurt now, the tree Now, the big, big wind. Remember that big wind that we had yeah. last week? Yeah. It blew them. Guys, my kids were skating down the driveway. They were skiing down the driveway on the guts of gypsy moth caterpillars. Wow. Do you know what, Matt? Um, uncle, your Uncle Pat, my brother Pat, Yeah. he was having one of his customers and they were having problems with gypsy moth. And she has approximately, you know, Beatrice, approximately yeah. 200 trees. And she asked Pat if he could do something for it. And then Pat's response was, but you have 200 trees. And this is a problem. Even if you could control it on two or three, controlling it on basically a small forest is going to be really tough. Yeah, you got it. That's a lot of surre- that's, that's a lot of plastic. That's a lot of yeah. work. Yeah. Okay? yeah. But Matty, can, okay, we move on? Job. can we move on to blue? Please? Blue, yes. So Matt, before we get going on blue, what's the most common color of flowers in the wild? This is shocking. 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 Yellow. Mom? Green. I'm we sorry. What? <laughs> we don't think of flowers as green, but when you, especially think of the deciduous trees, the little flowers on the maple Most tree. Most of the time that. they're green. Okay. I yeah. got you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I say, that's me. a lot of Solomon seal. <laughs> I know. And then Matt, after that would be like brown, pinks, that kind of idea. Okay. So Matt. Now brown is poop. No. Just not, poop. On, not on flowers. So, so Matthew. Uh, if you were to say, how the heck do flowers change the color of their blooms to blue? How would they do it? Uh, it's got to be something to do. It's got to be some sort of a protein, some sort of a chemical or something inside. This has to do with light, right? Because light passing through a certain spectrum gives us blue. Yes. 
Um, photopigmentism or photo no, photopigmentism. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's whatever. Mom. It's through anthocyanins. The okay. flowers can somehow or another flex or... Oh, you guys are really killing me. Yeah. All right, go. Okay. Oh. Do you know how we, when you were in art class, Matt, you took art class, right? Yeah. So you blend oh. different pigments and so forth. So the idea is, Matt, they would take the anthocyanins, which are the pigments, especially for red, and they would take their floral cells and they would t- be able to turn them into blue flowers. So the anthocyanins, Matt, are tweaked to make the, everything, make the flowers appear blue. It's simple as that. Okay. So it's all to do with anthocyanins. I don't really care how we got there. I just care that they're there. Yeah. Right? Like just because the morning glories are just. Oh, I know. Yes. Oh. Yes. So, Matt, the, the blue flowers in the wild. One of the main problems is that they're disappearing at an alarming rate. Why? Well, probably either COVID or stinking gypsy moths. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? The two plagues of 2020. <laughs> no. At this point, man, like, yeah. I'll take some murder hornets just to yeah. shake things up a little bit. The Mom? reason why they're disappearing is, first of all, only 10% of flowers in the wild. Flowers are blue, so they're rare already. But we are disturbing the areas that they grow in. Of course. Cutting grass. Of course. You know, having grazing animals, eat, yeah, eat them. Encroaching of course. on their environment. And one of the flowers... Man, you, is there ever any good news? Yeah, I know. Give well, me some good news. Our you... shots have been moved up. Okay, there's some good news. <laughs> You're not blue about that. Are no, you? <laughs> we're not. But Matt, wildflowers, for the most part, again, are considered seed bombs. Why? Well, because they, they reproduce generally by just explosive seed, right? They just pull the pin on it, and they just drop seeds everywhere, right? They're not necessarily reproduced by pollinators. It's more of just dropping seeds all over the place. Yes? Sure. And the idea, Matt, they they get thrown to the ground. They wait for, say, rain, sun, and then the soil to to do its work. Yep. And then they can reproduce, and they can make the next generation. So it's pretty pretty well done. What is that, asexually? I think, yeah, because there's that... Was that sexually? It's something. It probably involves a bottle of wine and... Dark chocolate. Dark chocolate. Wow. So, Maddie, here's a hard, hard question for you. So, yes, how to hack a wine and a hard chocolate? Anyway, sorry. Okay, so we got all the seeds and they're, they're pretty, the, the whole purpose of a flower is to produce seeds and then move on to the next generation or make the next yeah. generation. So, how the heck are these little seeds going along and surviving our winters? Well, okay, now, from what I know about seeds is a lot of times seeds need to have some sort of a stratification on there, so a, a chill period in, in order to activate them and get them going for the next season, correct? So the winter would, would so would the winter be a necessity? Well, and what happens, Matthew, is just think of the, uh, the seed themselves as basically a battery. Duracell. So it's a tiny little plant with all this energy stored inside. So it's storing starches. Okay, got yep. it? Yep. So I the idea is that these little... It's just bread. It's just... Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyways, Maddie, what happens is the uh, in the wintertime, as the temperatures get lower and lower, they go into this dormancy or hibernation period. And they use the starch as food. And they use the starch periodically as food. They're but like they, a bear. Like it's almost like they're dead. Their whole system slows down. Because so it's, a, it's a single a little embryonic plant in there, yes? Sure. Yeah. And the idea is that they only have about two weeks of actual energy on board to do their thing. So that means in the spring, they have two weeks to get their themselves ready to go so that they can do photosynthesis and make, they make their own food again. But here's the big catch. The larger the seed, 
the more energy they have that they can store, the more food they have, and the better chance they're going to have to survive the winter. Think about that for a second. And that's why you've got things like, for instance, all your winter wheats, anything that you can think of, all, all of our trees, basically, our, our evergreens, conifers, okay, yeah. that kind of thing, deciduous morning trees. Morning glories. Morning glories, okay? That's why these blasted morning glories <laughs> are surviving. Once Big, you got them, you got them. You've yeah. got them, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Same as Cleome spinosa. There's your Latin again, Latin yeah. alert. Anything that has a larger seed has more energy stored in the form of starch. And just think of it as a giant battery that is waiting to release its energy, but it needs two weeks in the spring to get everything up and running now, in order to survive. Whole so wait, wait, wait. So then why don't a lot of these seeds come and, come and survive into the next season? What happens? Well, if, if they're carpet bombing, you would have a certain number that are viable and, and other ones that are not. Kind of yes, kind of no. Mom? Well, I'm thinking like of a Samara off a maple tree. If it lands on pavement, it's not going to... It's not going to do anything because right. the conditions are but right. But the carpet for it. bombing, it just it's just a, a matter of hopefully it lands in a spot where you can oh, no, but also, Dad, no? climate also, change. Climate change. What's happening now when we get mild weather through the winter like let's say this March, the seed starts to wake up because it's mild and thinks okay, I mean they don't know it's March and right. not May. And then, and then you starts, get these cold snaps and it kills the yeah, seed off. And then what happens? It starts using its energy in advance that it needs yeah. to start up in the spring. Therefore, you have less viability and so forth. It's just a cool little thing, Matt, to, to Speaking understand. Speaking of a cool little thing, now you guys haven't been up to my place recently. My Camelot Foxglove Digitalis Ooh. is in full tilt boogie. Oh, really? Oh, you sick. should see this thing. Wow. Holy, is it pretty. Foxgloves. Really, really pretty. Only problem is you get big leaf one year and then the next year you get this flower and then it's yeah. down again right okay let's actually get into some actual plant materials here shall we yep yep okay one one last thing so man how long has blue basically been around that we've been actually considering you know, calling it blue how long do you think blue's been around on earth i don't know well it's naturally occurring but it's the egyptians 4500 years ago that had a word for blue that's the first language that had a word for 4500 years ago matthew wow and they actually figured out a way to make synthetic blue uh, it was it was chemical or something. Yeah, it was chemical. It's uh, calcium, copper, silicate, and uh, they also they produced it by grinding grinding sand, copper, and natron, which is basically they call it native soda. They also used that for embalming, and huh. that's how. And they heated it. That's how they got that blue paint. So if you were to go into the pharaoh's tomb, you'd see right. a lot of blue paint. Gotcha. Yeah. It's really kind of on the cool side, Matt. Okay, but Matt. Trees, wait a minute. Trees. Okay, so trees. No, no, no. No more history. No more history. Go. Okay, so if we were going to talk about deciduous trees, are yeah. there any deciduous trees out there, think about leaf trees, that would have a blue flower? Any idea? Okay, so the instant I think about blue, my head automatically goes to Russian olive. Okay? But Russian olive is not necessarily... It's blue like as in lavender is blue. It's that powdery blue, gray, kind of green gray. Yeah. thing. Yeah. Right? But you're talking about a blue flower? On a blue tree. flower on, on a, a tree. And it's actually, if you believe it or not, Matthew, zone six through nine. Any idea, Mom? It's called the chaste tree. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound I'm like kind of chaste myself. <laughs> yeah. Mom, Mom used to chase me a lot. Chaste, <laughs> guys. Anyhow, it's a deciduous, low-growing tree with a shrub-like appearance. It's fast-growing. It's low-maintenance. And it flowers with beautiful blue flowers. And it has medicinal properties. Even has a droop, Matt. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it, she's chasing you around, you shouldn't be drooping. No, I know. <laughs> it produces some kind of a fruit 
that can decrease, if it's ingested, can decrease your libido. Well, we don't want that. No happy time, Matt. No. Yeah. That's why it's called the chase tree. Yeah. Because you're staring down there going, yo, anytime. Yeah. (laughs) But I ate this piece of fruit today. (laughs) What's the connection? (laughs) Actually, one of the common names for it is monk's pepper tree. But, Matt, it does attract butterflies, pollinators again. Right. And it's native to Eurasia. So then I shouldn't be putting plastic wrap around the truck no, with petroleum no. jelly on it? But if you get a chance to uh, put it up on show bits, it's actually quite okay. a oh, beautiful yeah. bloom. Completely. Yeah. 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 So, so it's six to nine, so you could grow it in Toronto. I could grow it we in We could try to grow yeah. it in Toronto. First of all, I've never seen it in my entire life. Yeah. That I even... <laughs> we know says, it exists. I've never heard anybody <laughs> say to me... Uh, Jack, could uh, you please uh, put a chaste tree in on my property? Okay, <clears throat> question for you. The kids were at the skate park a couple days ago. Finally. Oh, my God, the world is, is opening up. Yeah, Unbelievable. I I, I, I've never seen the kids react to the word park. It's like when you say the word walkie around a dog and the dog's like, yes! Uh, kids were at the park. That they, <laughs> they have about this park in the span of, let's say, 100 feet. They might have 20 London plane tree, Platinus acerifolia. 20. 20 of these. Do you these. know they're, they're actually banned in Boston they're because messy. of their messy? 20 of these. Why these though? Why would they do this? Huge. They get they're huge. Messy, messy trees. I I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is going to get crazy big. Well, they'll be light, nice and shady. <laughs> yeah, but you're also going to have peeling bark everywhere well, and they're yeah, 100 like feet tall. <laughs> so, so anyways, Matt, when, when we would use something with a blue or silver kind of foliage going on. What does that mean to us right away? Well, first of all, that's zero phytic, but it's also usually meaning evergreen. Sure. Right. So if we were going to be picking an evergreen, let's say, oh. that, that had a, okay, let's, let's look at a, a conifer of some kind. Okay. And we wanted something that was not a Picea pungens gloca, and it was one of the better varieties, and it's not baby blue eyes. We're staying away from that one this time. Which is a glauca. Which is a glauca. So what would you choose? Oh, hoopsie. Hoopsie, Why? Well, hoopsie's a, okay. Hoopsie is not just blue; it's like steel slate blue. Like this is blue, 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 blue. But the nice part about the hoopsie is they don't get that wide. Okay, so that's about thirty feet wide, ten about so half as much as say, as your as your big as your big pungent yeah. yeah, yeah, and they tend to be a little bit more resilient than your Picea pungens glauca. Now, the reason why I think that is is because. Because they maintain a smaller size, most of the times, my opinion is that a Picea pungens glauca, Colorado blue spruce, dies because it's planted in the wrong spot. It just outgrows the area, right? At least this thing stays a little bit more contained. Well, the Picea pungens glauca, the Colorado blue spruce, it has all the problems with cytospora and Picea canker, which is basically because of stress. Yeah. But this thing doesn't seem to be quite as bad. And Matt, just think of this. Zone 2B and up. So this thing is Arctic, tough, okay? But pricey. Pricey. Like, think yeah. about three times the price of a Picea pungent of Colorado blue spruce. Yeah. That's how expensive they are. But Matt, they live about 80 years or so. And they don't take any, uh, basically, any soil type, even moist. Not They don't want their feet wet. But any pH again, Matt... And any soil type you could think of. Just no standing water because they don't like their feet wet. And if you buy it and have a dog, you have the opportunity to have your dog take a, take a poopsie under your hoopsie. Oh, <laughs> man, that is right? really, That's really good. bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll be here all day, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, if we were going to go to, say, um, let's stick with the kind of the conical looking thing. Okay. Okay, so let's stick with another blue one. 
So let's go with something that is tall and blue and is used as an upright or a pyramidal form in your garden. What would you choose that isn't, say, a skyrocket juniper? Or what would you use? Well, blue arrow. Blue arrow, but what else? Well, you... How about a Moffat? Okay, why Moffat? Because it sounds like Muppet. Muppets are fun. No. Yes, no. Muppets are fun. No. Right? Okay. I Anyways, Matt, what's the Latin for Moffat? Juniperus scopulopora Moffatari. Very good. Yes. Now, Sorry, the... Moffetti. 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 <laughs> it sounds Italian. Sounds like confetti. Sure. Yes. But Matt, get this. Because they're fun. Like, yeah. like no. Muppets. No. Yeah. All right. Not at all. Kind of weak. All right. Go. 12 feet tall. Five yeah. foot spread. Full sun, if you want them bluer, more sun. And Matt, we would use them for accents and verticals, that kind of idea, even screens. But they have basically no flower to speak of. But they, they have these scale, which are the, the actual foliage they have, and yep. they're kind of nice and, and soft. and, and They're yeah. not like, they don't have the awls like... Uh, like the prickly junipers. Like the blue stars. Yeesh. Right? Yes, I agree. Yucky. But Matt, zone three through seven. But when you buy these things, the problem is, if you buy a Moffat or a Wichita, what do you have to be careful about? Snow. No. Mom? A Wichita gets really big. This thing's a tree. can grow to 50-foot height. It can 20 have foot 20 spread. foot spread. And this is a Damn. shrub. This that's, is a tree. That's a Colorado blue spruce, basically. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So read the tag closely, because if it's a Wichita... So they, so they look pretty similar. Yes? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, okay. when they little. Yeah. And even the Blue Point Matt is another good one to use. We would use it, and it grows about six inches uh, per year, and it's only in the 8 to 12-foot range. So be aware... Yeah, you guys were planting skyrockets back in the 80s. Yeah. Because we didn't have a I lot know. of variety. That we're was also why. planting something but else. Here's a, here's a big one, Matthew. <laughs> Moffats oh, do yeah. live... For 70 years. Do they really? So that's a long time for an upright juniper. But you got to watch. These things like to be, especially if you're getting like a lot of snow near these things, you almost have to tie them. Yeah. Not necessarily burlap them, but just take the garden twine and tie them up because they tend to spread out a little bit over snow. If you've got a heavy duty snow or ice, and if you tie them up together, it tends to keep them contained a little bit more. How many Moffats have we seen on a job site that have just been ravaged by snow or ice damage? Lots. You sure it was Moffats or Wichita's? Oh, Whatever. Something, yeah. right? But again, on something that doesn't get this tall, take the time and just tie it in the winter. You don't even have to sure. burl out the things, but just but just tie it up. Use your use your garden twine. So if we were sticking with the same xerophytic look, the blue-gray going on, and we wanted to have something in a ground cover form, and you wanted to uh, have something that's not going to be too, too invasive to your garden and does not have spider mite, what would you choose? All that and more on the other side. Stay with us. This is The Growing Season on News Talks on a 9.60 a.m. season on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Follow along with us at growingseasoncanada.com. Click on Show Bits. It's the visual accompaniment to the show. And if you click on Show Bits right now, you're going to see something called an icy blue juniper. And the Latin for that is, Matthew? Juniperus chinensis icy blue? No. no. Juniperus horizontalis. Oh. Icy blue. Icy blue. Yes. So it isn't, it isn't Chinese. It's horizontal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. This is 
the cutest, cutest little juniper round cover. Love, love, love. Absolutely love this thing. We use these on so on, on like multiple, multiples, multiples of our sites. Okay, that's a crutch word. No, it's just you know enunciation. <laughs> enunciation. Icy blue is great. It only gets about eight inches tall. So when you want something that is a ground covery type thing, now people are like, well, but you can get flocks ground covers that are that are whatever three inches tall. Yeah, but this is a juniper. <laughs> okay, it has to have some manner of branching structure. But you know okay. what, Matt? It does spread six feet, so it's it quite, does. Has it does quite and a territory. Things, these things love to hang over rocks. Yes, they love it. They love it. The yellow version, and you've heard us talk about this audience, would be the mother low juniper. It's the exact same idea, but just it's a yellowy color. Can right? you imagine the two together in a garden. We do it all the time on job sites. Absolutely. Yeah. Yin all and time. yang. Yeah. Absolutely. Very pretty. Right. But this one's great. It gives you the classic juniper smell. All right. It has few negatives. Great for mass planting, bed edgings, ground covers, lives 30 years, full sun or partial shade, which is a, a good thing. Because 30 years, Matthew. 30 years. And as well as it does partial shade. A lot of times these juniper ground covers do not want to deal with partial shade, yet this thing will take it. As, as far as negatives, does this thing get spider mite? Not much. Not much. Okay. No. If you were to even deer don't bother it, Matt, and it's a drought tolerant plant. So it's good. And if you were to flip over, what would be one that would get bonkers level spider mite in the juniper ground covers? Juniperus chinensis, old gold, Juniperus chinensis, Fitzidiani aurea. So any of the old gold junipers, the okay. uh, golden Fitzroy junipers, anything like that are bad. Um, the blue, we're gonna, blue Hetzi is on the list here, Matt, but Blue Hetzi also gets a lot of spider mite. Now, you know that you've got spider mite when your junipers have got cobwebs, yeah, like yeah. spider webs. And they actually suck all the juices out of the new growth. And they look, it makes your actual juniper look like hell. What color are these things, Dad? Are these the little red guys? Which one's that? Spider mite. Yeah, they're very small and red. You wouldn't hardly ever see them. That's why on a a yellow juniper of some kind, a golden juniper, they're very hard to see. But you can see those spider webs. And we normally, we don't want to use chemicals, so we would actually take a garden hose and give them a quick, direct spray (laughs) off and hit them. But Matt, just think about this. Again. It's a xerophyte. Can you explain xerophyte to our listeners, please? A xerophyte's a stupid word because it begins with X and it actually is pronounced with a Z. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're right. It's stupid. All right. Xerophyte means this. It is heavily, heavily drought tolerant. It needs like an eighth of the water of your regular plant material. It has a bluey, greeny, gray, steel-like looking leaf. So think about a lavender. Think about a blue festuca. Think about... A yarrow. A yarrow. Exactly. Any of those types of things. And they are heavily drought tolerant and they can take blasting sun. To make it short and sweet? Yes. Little care. Little water. All right. Little, little fertilizer. Little Mom. fertilizer. Mom. What? Dad. Dad was the least long-winded out of that whole thing. <laughs> for Dad to say to make it short and sweet. <laughs> but Matt, just think about this for one minute. Zone 2B. That's pretty damn tough. Arctic. They're great. They're but great. Matty, any soil type, they don't really like their feet wet. And they will tolerate, um, even with the weather that's been kind of warm on the uh, lately with the, a lot of heat and, and yep. humidity, they'll do just fine. But Matt, there's another one out there that we would use in the past. I mentioned just briefly a second ago, and it's called the Hepsi. Yeah. And we don't use it much I've anymore. never, you know what, I, I, I have never put one in. No, because there's so many better things well, out there Well, because we now. got into blue rug eventually, or blue carpet, right? So when I was starting to really get into it, I never put a Hepsi in, ever, ever. People use them a lot, Matt, the, the Hetsy for screens and so forth, and th- that kind of idea. And you know what, Matt? They're great for songbirds. So they would, they would have the really? songbirds would gather in there, and they liked it. But they also had the, the exfoliating bark. 
which, uh, you know, the peeling bark thing going on. So it kind of reminded me uh, actually in a, in a way like the Griseum from your your Acers. Okay? Yep. Your, your, uh, Between you and I, you know what? We are the people that are really driving the show bit stuff. Mom's just sitting back. Mom doesn't say anything that's, you know, would cause me to have to add another picture. But you and I, in the span of like 30 seconds, just bomb, 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 Sorry, bomb. Matt. <laughs> yeah. But Matt, one of my favorite uh, plants out there, even though it doesn't have a blue leaf or it doesn't have a blue flower, it actually has a yellow flower, is something called an Oregon grape. And it's either either called, uh, it's called Mahonia, uh, and the Latin name is Mahonia aquifolium. But Matt, it has this beautiful yellow flower on it. This is a bizarre looking one. And the blue, when the blue berry comes on in the fall, it is absolutely dynamite. It looks like a blue berry on the vacciniums, Matt. We have not used this on a job site for so long. And Last then, year? No. I did. Where? Up at uh, Collier's. I used uh, yeah. Mahonia there. Okay. I hadn't seen one come across my plate until you did a design this past season for Miss Melly Colucci of the Brampton Coluccis. And I looked at it and I said, Oregon grape, when is the last time I've seen Oregon grape used? The leaves, they have like a, like a holly look. It's got like a, it's a shiny, leathery, green, dark greeny, almost bluey tinge to it. Sure. And they're actually called holly leafed barberry, if you really want to know, Matt. But they have a fantastic fall color. They have like a, almost like a bronze red fall color going on. And but they have this blueberry. It's the berry. Which is basically uh, tart, um, Bitter, that kind of idea. And they have giant seeds the size of uh, walnuts. Not walnuts. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No. No, 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 no. That's no. a big berry. That's yeah. a big berry. Bird eats one berry and it can't fly away. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Matt, they, they're good for attracting hummingbirds and, and bees and so forth. And the leaves are on the prickly side. But, again, Matt, we would put them in a very protected area. We're in Zone 5B up here in the Bolton area. So they need winter protection. So you would put them in an area that's not in yeah. a northwest exposure. Look, this is the thing. Anything sensitive, it's really, really simple. If you've got a, a fenced-off area, right? Let's say you have a like a fence, right? And that fence meets in like a 90 degree. Put stuff like this right in the corner of that 90. Sure. And that's I'll, where you put it. Absolutely. And because Toronto is 6B and up, they're no problem, so no they problem. would have no issues with them. But Matt, in the past, I've used variety, variety, bleh, varieties like Apollo, Soft Caress, and Charity. And they're absolutely dynamite, and I, they're worth a try, Matt. Now, if you use Charity, did they just give them to you? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. So, okay, okay. Well, come on. While we're on this, can I get the butterfly bush, please? Okay, hit it. Oh, I love butterfly bush. Butterfly bush is something that I, I basically rediscovered this. Now... Butterfly bush is one that you could almost consider this a perennial. It's in that it's in that zone in between shrub and perennial. But because it's called butterfly bush, we're going to call it a shrub. Okay? I love this stuff. And the reason why I love this stuff is they call this summer lilac. And why? This thing blooms in July. Nothing blooms in July. This thing does. These things bloom when nothing else is blooming. But the only one problem with them, Matthew... By the time they reach five years old, yeah, they're mature, yeah, and so they, you're either going to have to cut them back dramatically, yeah. or drastically, yeah, and then they or coppice them, and that's what, and they'll take extreme pruning very, very well. Oh, yes, they will. Sure, they'll take it big time. But by the time they get to ten or twelve years, they kind of fizzle out. So you, that means you definitely have to coppice. And by the way, explain coppicing again. So coppicing is just the act of in the late winter, early spring. So 
Middle of March is a great time if you're here in Southern Ontario. You cut that plant down to basically around 8 to 10, maybe 12 inches above the ground. And what happens is that plant, it begins to retreat from the old woody growth and put on brand new growth. So you're going to have a smaller shrub, yes, in the first season, but it's going to bloom like crazy and it really contributes to the health of the plant. Longevity. Completely. It just makes this thing live a lot longer than it would normally live. And these things, the butterfly bush, man, you got all kinds of colors. Now, because today is a blue show, right? We're going to chat about the blue version of it. But these things have a very xerophytic leaf as well. It's that it's that same look as a lavender, right? That bluey, greeny, powdery gray looking leaf on it, right? But you guys have got empire blue butterfly bush on this. I love this. I use lo and behold butterfly bush a lot. I use Adonis. I use the Harlequin dad. Have you seen this thing with the variegated leaf on it? Sure. Oh, that'd be super, super cool. But Matt, what's cool about them is they're tubular fragrant blue purple flowers. Yeah. And that's what's, what's cool about them. And of course, they're great for your pollinators again. And I know you're they having a, a real thing about pollinators No, today. I listen, I love the bees. And okay, I love this. But like, why, why does everything have to be about the bees and we're not doing anything to help the maples? Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Now these things get these things get high. These things get these things can like can get big. This thing can get like twelve feet across. Yeah, uh, that's like why after a while, and after five years, there's you a have number. to give them a hack. Sure. Yeah. But Matt, you know, out there, mom, mom has one that we see on the trail all the time. This is actually in the perennial form, and actually, it's one of my least favorite things out there. And what is it, mom? Forget me not. Oh God! Oh. Why are we talking about this? Okay, because it's blue. It's blue. I like them. I think they're cute. They have tall, hairy stems. Kind of like Matt's legs. <laughs> <laughs> they can else. reach two foot in height. Okay. They have five petal blue booms with a yellow center. I like them because when they bloom in, they bloom early to mid spring. It looks like drifts of blue flowers. But these they're things so are biennial, aren't so they? Pretty. No, they bloom every year, and you know I what? have never planted one on my property, no. and yet the and neighbors yet are always it's... giving them to me. Yeah, they just blow everywhere the they seed. We in... have them in our backyard too. Yeah. I haven't put them in. They bloom in yellow, or not yellow? Sorry, white, pink, or blue. And yes, they're very, very invasive. Now, they're heavy seeders. N- look, okay, nothing looks like this. Like the flower has a little circle in the middle of it. Yeah. I think nothing looks pretty. like this. They're like it has a little dainty. white circle in the middle. Sure. Of it. yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. it is a very pretty. And, it look, and when they are all blooming, like even when we walk on the trail, they're all through some of the. But the problem parts. is, it's such a fleeting amount of time. Yes, it is. Well, they said that, you know for naturalized areas that kind of idea, and even shady woodlots and woodlands, right, Matt? Yeah. But Matt, I found came across in our travels. Okay, I I love iris. The only problem oh, with iris is oh. they bloom such a short period of time. You know what you need to do is you need to put a garden full of forget-me-nots and iris in, and then the rest <laughs> of the year is just a patch of green. Yeah. 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 But yeah. wait a minute. Wait a minute on this one. I came across one called Blue Victoria Falls, and it's a very large light bloom, light blue blooms with a white beard, Matt. Now get this. It's this, again. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Again? (laughs) (laughs) Zone three through nine, full sun, that kind of idea, part shade. These things will grow about 100 centimeters tall. So they're they're pretty big, okay? Okay. But the thing about these guys, Matthew, is they are repeat bloomers. In an iris? In an iris. It's a big, it's a tall repeat bloomer iris. You got it. We use irises. The only one that I ever specify is the variegated one. Because of the leaf color. Because at least this yeah. way, once Amazing it's done, leaves. it's weird looking flower on it. It looks like a it looks like a yucca. But just think about this for a minute, Matthew. So mid to late spring, they bloom. They do their thing, especially in this variety. And we want very the blue. blue then they will, will rebloom late summer, early fall, 
and you got another set of blooms. Not quite as much, but they actually still have the second bloom. Matt, again, full sun, sandy soil, doesn't care about the pH. You can cut them back. You know that old 6-8, thing you've you heard? You got it. So after about six to eight weeks, you cut them back to six, six to eight, eight inches, inches, and then you they will rebloom again. I'm very familiar so, with So, But you can actually, once the, once the first frost comes along, then you cut them mat down to about three inches from the ground. Nice. So it's just, uh, it's one of those ones. But, Mom, we have one in our garden that, that uh, Phyllis across the road from us, she gave us uh, Centauria. Yeah, can corn, corn flower. Corn flower, very pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what it looks like? Looks like a flower just dropped a big hit of acid, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. Kind of, it's weird. Strange yeah, as blooms on it. Petals, the way they come out. <laughs> it looks there. like it looks a little bit like a like the coronavirus. You know yes, what I'm it does. Yeah, it has a circle in the middle, and then the little things on the outside. And it's but very it, blue. But it just looks like it's like, yo, man, I'm seeing like I'm seeing I'm hallucinating. It's just a very <laughs> now some of the varieties are quite tall. I know ours. When I was watering the garden this morning, I noticed some of the stems are are flopping over as it gets and bigger. Man, they those things reproduce, and they do. Yes. Holy and yes, cow! They do. do you know what, Matt? They're, they're a member of the Asteraceae family, if you can believe it. Yeah. And so, but Matt, they make great wildflower gardens, that kind of idea for borders and garden beds. Yeah. And they're easy to grow and they're totally, 100%, without a doubt, drought tolerant. Jim Morrison's favorite. Yeah. Just go drop a bunch of hits of acid and sit in his garden like, whoa, man. Some areas, they're actually considered a weed. Yeah. Well, anything, listen, anything that's invasive, we're going to consider a weed, right? Yeah. Right? So wouldn't you consider clover invasive? Shouldn't clover be considered a weed? Yeah. Sure. Right? But Matt... The taller varieties, they need to be staked, like your mom said. But the idea is that they're great with nasturtiums, marigolds, poppies, and you must deadhead them if you want to get a fair amount of bloom off them. That yes. goes for almost every plant. Yeah, out there. completely. Yeah. It's funny because my okay, so my um, my Physocarpus, my little dwarf nine bark, is in full tilt boogie right now, full tilt bloom. Right? It was it was weird because I came outside and I'm like, who fertilized my flower bed? Because I saw the little white specks. Oh, right, yes. And it, it wasn't fertilizer. It's the fact that the that the nine bark is in the middle of full bloom and the and the flower petals are, are coming off. Sure. So my, so my neighbor across the street said, hey, so so what is that? So that's a like a dwarf nine bark. Oh, okay. Well, when do you prune it? I said, listen, here's your general rule. Directly after that sucker is done flowering, for 95% of plant materials, this is this is the truth. Okay? Directly after that thing is done Not flowering. Not prune in June. That's no, a stupid. No, stupid we can't thing. even say that anymore, right? Because listen, my GM are about to finish. I'm just going to grab them. I'm going to ponytail prune them. But directly after it's done flowering is the best time to prune. Like legitimately. Now the problem is you're going to have. They don't just shut the switches off. Hey guys, it's Wednesday. We're just shutting the blooms off, right? It's going to stagger. It's going to. It's going to sort of come down. So what you do is and you, also Matthew at different heights or now yeah, uh, on the stems themselves right. and yeah. you're going to have like dead, I have two digitalis my one digitalis on the one side is in full tilt boogie the other one hasn't decided that it wants to do it yet right so not everything happens at the same time even if it's the same plant in the same area but directly after it's done is the best time to prune it and actually if you can catch it so that most of the blooms have basically fizzled out and you give it a light pruning these 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 nine bark will give you a little bit of a blast towards the end of the summer so mom if we were going to pick something that we, we've got in our garden, I believe Matthew also has some at his house. And we were going to be talking about Delphinium grandiflorum. What would you say about it? Very pretty. That's not much of an answer. <laughs> oh, I, uh, the uh, Delphinium grandiflorum, 
There's all kinds of different blue varieties, summer nights, Delphix blue, blue butterfly, indigo, banner blue, violet blue. Uh, it's good in zones 3 to 8B. It's good for cottage or border gardens. Do you, do you know what, Matt? We've never talked plant. about Delphs, right? Why is that? Okay. I love delphiniums. My only concern with delphiniums is they are really susceptible to any kind of a wind. Oh, yes. Okay. So these things, you got to be staking them. And these and, and delphiniums are never, there's no dwarf variety of these things. Like, like Larkspur is as close as you're going to get. Especially Pacific Giants. Like I think they can eight get up feet to tall. Eight. Yeah, they get tall, right? Yeah. So, you know, you, like, Dad, your Larkspurs are going to get what? In, in, into the two feet? 18 20, inches? Yeah. Two 20, feet? 18 to 24 yeah. inches. Okay. So you, so you still have to stake them. Sure. Okay. But the, the only issue with them is they are susceptible to wind damage and they can be kind of finicky. They want the soil to be moist and they don't want to have blasting, blasting, blasting no. sun. Slightly acidic. Gentle morning sun. But magic fountains, delphiniums, are absolutely breathtaking. So wait a minute. Do you actually protect the roots in the heat of the day on your delphiniums? I do the same thing with the delphiniums as I do with the oh, clematis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with my clematis. And it's funny. I did the clematis last year. I put, um, I've got, um, oh, uh, Elot Violet uh, clematis. So it's the later bloomer. So it actually is not even fired up yet. Some people have their clematis going now. Yeah. Mine will hit middle to end of June and then go all summer. And I put Black Eyed Susie at the base of the root system and it is loving it. With a Loving. contrast too, but eh? Matt, yeah, yellow on the on the purpley blue. Yeah, but many yeah. all parts are toxic, so you got to have to be careful with that. On what delphs? On the delphiniums, yeah. and they can sca- cause skin irritation. And everybody's favorite out there, the runs if you eat it. <laughs> yeah, but, but Matt, so again, stop eating the delphiniums. If yeah. we, we were, mom and I were doing some research, and we were we had actually done a show in the winter on uh, put your plants on, and we were talking about flax. And have you ever physically put any flax in your garden? I have not, and I should. And that's on me because flax is absolutely. But yeah, you beautiful. put them at your own. Oh, flax. Okay, flax. Was, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking delphinium. No, but yeah, flax again. You would be probably seeding them for yes. the for the most part, yep. like an annual, yep. like yep. broadcast. Yep. But mom, could you talk a bit on flax, please? Well, some flax can be a perennial, uh, one point two meters in height. It's a five petaled blue flower with a little yellow center. Whole fields of them would look absolutely gorgeous. Flax is a very useful plant. It can be used to make. Clothing, it can use for linen, linen, flax seed oil, linseed oil. I thought you oil. said it can be it, it can be used to make lin. Yeah, like, linen. mom is made of flax. Yeah, I'm linen, linen. <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's a great reseeder, so it's great for naturalized area. And flax is a pole. It's a pole. It's, it's a, a grass. So it's grass. It's Therefore, grass. it's related to what in the tropics would be related to bamboo. Okay. It's related to pineapple and bamboo and, and bamboo. bamboo. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Anyways, Matthew, this thing, what is If it drove about a it? truck, you could call it Rambo. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> See a flax driving a truck. Matt, it's... What's up, boys? <laughs> again, because you want to attract the pollinators, it's great for bees and so forth. And it, we would use it in naturalized area areas like that kind of idea. And normally speaking, you would plant it in the spring, like, a, like in any sort of annual seed that you would be using. Yeah. And it prefers a well-drained, sandy soil. And it will tolerate some frost. Yeah. But not much fertilizing is required and you can actually cut it back by half after it blooms, and it will bloom somewhat again. So That's light awesome. blooming. But the thing is, Matt, it's great food for birds. But the problem is, slugs love it. Any of the gastropods? What does that gastropod stand for again? Uh, stomach, stomach foot. foot. 
Yeah. Yeah. Any, any I'm of those sorry. What? Stomach <laughs> foot. <laughs> what is stomach foot? With their 27,000 teeth. Yeah. Slugs. It's just a font. That is the. It's just a stomach with a foot. I that guess. is a great name for like a heavy metal bed. We are stomach foot. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Matt. <laughs> but, Matt, one of the most invasive things out there, and it's probably one of your mom's favorite, is. The morning glory. Morning glory. Oh this is man, the, it's so good. This is the flower of my childhood. Okay. Uh, we we so, didn't have much privacy at the front of our house, so my dad grew morning glory vines up for privacy. Ipomia is the Latin and heavenly blue, and it is blue. There's no mistaking it. A little bit of white on it, right? Little, well, yeah, Oof. some of them are completely blue. Yeah, it's a vine. The only issue here yes. is that you don't have privacy until like... July, end of July. Late July, early August. Yeah. So you have this April, May, June, yeah, almost all of July. You're like, how you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you should and have pants on. One of yeah. the biggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't walk in front of your <laughs> But you know what, Matt? One of the biggest problems with them is that they, if you give them too much nitrogen, you get lots of leaves and little blooms. So you got to watch that. And they reseed like oh, jackrabbits. I planted morning Holy. glories four years ago, and I've never had to replant them. So here's what happened at our place, okay? So when we moved into our place, our neighbor had already planted morning glories, okay? So I went and dug the front flower beds out and put a brand new, wonderful flower bed in there. And I planted clematis last year, okay? Last year, you know what happens on a clematis on the first year. Nothing. Yeah. Almost nothing, right? Just a few leaves. A little bit of leaves, yeah. Mind you, my little sickly ones, they're doing fine. They're going up the trellises. Do clematis attached by tendrils? I think so, right? I think so. Yeah, because I have them on my, it's now starting to get over onto my railing and everything. Anyway, so last year, what the clematis were, though, is they were the uh, they were the climbing system for the for the morning glory. Oh, so what I have now, and I'm, 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 I'm actually excited to, to see this, is I've got the clematis coming up. But what's going to happen is once the clematis have kind of blown themselves out, the morning glories are going to begin to take over. And they're going to climb up the clematis leaves. Yeah, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, I agree, Matt. And and the thing about them is you you got to be careful. Don't let the soil dry out, that kind of idea, or, or otherwise they'll look like hell. And yeah, as they, they start to grow, if you want them to look fuller, pinch them back a bit. But you guys have them growing up the sides of your front railing. Yes. And by the time, like, it's late covered. September hits, see nothing yeah. but <laughs> you yeah. cannot see, see your railing. front railing it at looks all. Like it's a, gone. <laughs> it looks like a morning glory head. We yeah. planted them side. different colors. We planted some pink ones along the trellis. Ooh, those are nice. Too. But yeah. Matt, just think about it. Zone 2 through 11. So they're damn survivors, right? Yeah, and they're, they're basically perennial in that, sure. in that they reseed like crazy. They are related to bindweed. Bindweed. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. they're cousins. What a okay. pain they are, Matt. Bindweed gets into everything. Well, and listen, morning glories, like the cleanup is really easy. You just grab a handful of it and yeah. just tear it out. So, right? So, Maddie, what time do we have left? We we have about 18 seconds. 18 seconds. You asked. And now we have about 14 seconds. <laughs> okay. Can we hit something for about 20 seconds on the other side? Yes. Yeah. Actually, that's a wonderful place to press pause. Ladies and gentlemen. Coming to the mound now is the closer, Miss Lynn McFarland. Mom? Okay, I'm going to talk about chicory. This is a great plant. Uh, it doesn't need much care at all. It's wild. It has a nice blue bloom. It can grow to be a meter and a half tall. And as it as it gets older, it grows taller and taller and less blooms. But this plant is highly edible. Did you know that the leaves are 92% water, 5 carbs, 
You can use the root. You can roast the root, grind it up, and it's a coffee substitute. You can put the leaves in salads. And there's enough water in the leaves. I guess if you're lost in the woods, you have nothing to Give drink. Give me some moisture, Matt. Of chicory leaves. So is that why Sasquatch are always gacked out of their mind as far as caffeine? Because they're just yeah. eating all the chicory? Yeah, eating all the chicory, yeah. Sasquatch are really hyper. Yeah. But anyhow, it is, you know what? It is a really good plant. Not too many allergies, Matt, unless you have problems with ragweed or bird. So, wonderful. GrowingSeasonCanada.com is the website. Click on Showbits is the visual accompaniment to the show. Directly after this show airs, you will see this very show. <gasps> it's remarkable. Podcast it right into Showbits. You click play on it and follow along with the visuals in chronological order. As well as while you're hanging out at GrowingSeasonCanada.com, you can click on contact. That sends an email directly off to me, whether it be for landscape design, consult, or installation any of those things can be discussed via email. Usually we sort of have a bit of a wooing thing. The spiders sort of dance around a little bit with the little legs and then we decide on a date that we're going to come out and walk the property, etc., etc. We always end the show in a very, very similar fashion. And this week, ladies and gentlemen, is not going to divert from that. So it's not, you're not going to use my first joke? No, I will not use your first joke. Okay. <laughs> no. Check this out. Guys, what's blue and not too heavy? Uh, no idea, Matthew. Yeah. Light blue. <laughs> oh, that is really That's awful. I think cute. my joke was better. Nope. No. <laughs> can't use that one. Mom? Till next time, have a good one. And please be safe. Jack out. If you miss any part of our show today or any of our earlier broadcasts, don't panic. Just log on to our website at www.saga960am.ca backslash podcasts and look for and stream our podcasts of this show and any of our other great programs. We are stomach for you.